shoulders with people on Sunday morning that God is um, interacting with, that God is impacting. And it's really important to hear how God is working in each other's lives. And this type of sharing is not something new to uh, church routines. If you look back in scripture, you'll see that the early church did this all the time. They believers gathered and they shared about the work of the Lord and they shared what God was doing and how the gospel was moving forward. So we love to do this in our church and we're excited to do it again today. All right, so it's our hope that you are encouraged and maybe challenged, and that you can hear the voice of the Lord through the testimonies shared today. Uh, sharing testimonies is it's an act of praise to God, it's an act of worship to God, and so it can be a really valuable time together, okay? So it's my hope that you reflect on where God might be opening your eyes. And if you've been around, you know that our sermon series is on that topic. We are going through the book of Ephesians, and the sermon series is called Seeing Reality Through Christ. Sam introduced this sermon series a few weeks ago, saying that the book of Ephesians is like a set of corrective lenses. And for those of you that have glasses or contacts, uh, when you put them on, you all of a sudden can see more clearly and you can see more fully. And um, Sam explained that Ephesians is glasses for the soul to see life clearly, and that apart from the work of Christ Jesus in our lives, we would not even know that we are not seeing clearly. And so we're thankful for Ephesians, thankful for the time that we're spending in Ephesians, um, and just allowing God to put those glasses on us to see reality through Christ. So we want to go into this morning's interviews. Um, with the key verse in mind. The key verse is written up beautifully on the chalkboard, and we took a picture of it so y'all can see it over there too. Um, but it is Ephesians 1.18, and it says, I pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So with the purpose of interviews in mind, with our key verse in mind, um, I would love to call up Annie Sexton and Trevor Garman. Want to come on up? They will be our interviewees for the morning. And as they're coming up, um, I'll do a brief introduction of each of them. Um, Annie and Ollie Sexton have been uh, members of our church for a very long time. They were one of the original couples that met in Nick Dean's, Nick and Hannah Dean's living room. Um, they have been involved in a variety of different areas, community groups. They have big hearts for the Lord and spend a lot of time serving in food pantry ministries in the area. And Annie is currently part of our Connect Women's Ministry as well. So, and then we've got Trevor Garman here. Trevor and Sarah also were one of the founding couples of the church, I think before it was even meeting in the Dean's Living Room. They were a part of it, so they go way back. Um, they've also been involved in different community groups and different area ministries in the church. Currently, Trevor is serving as the lead of the tech team. So we have a big thank you to Trevor for keeping things going on a Sunday morning. So, And Trevor one time helped get a bat out of my house, so he has <laughs> that hidden talent as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, so I'm just going to say a quick prayer, and then we can get started, okay? God, we entrust this time to you. Um, what a blessing it is to hear of your direct work with um, people around us, with um, people that we know to be believers. We know that you are working and you're sanctifying, God, and so we, we submit this time to you. Open our eyes, God, that we will see reality 
through Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, Annie, we'll start with you. Could you please share how Christ opened your eyes? Could you please share how Christ opened your eyes? Okay. Well, um, I grew up in a very Catholic, Irish-Italian family. I'm the third oldest of 12 children. I have uh, seven younger brothers, four of whom were named uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And five of them have uh, middle names of Gerard because St. Gerard was the patron saint of pregnant women. So <laughs> we all attended um, Catholic elementary school, uh, Catholic high school, and nine out of the 12 of us um, went to Catholic colleges or universities. Um, my mom always wanted a priest, but she didn't, she didn't get one. Uh, our Catholic faith was very important to us. Um, our school day in elementary school began with Mass, so we went to Mass every day, not just Sundays. Um, during Advent, we would um, light the candles on the Advent wreath and uh, be around the, uh, kneel around the dining room table and say the rosary. Um, we uh, fasted during Lent. Um, we uh, did the Stations of the Cross. Um, we were all baptized, made our first confession, first communion, um, uh, confirmed, uh, married in the Catholic Church. So our Catholic faith was very, very important to us. Um, So now I'm going to, that was my upbringing, so I'm going to fast forward a little bit um, to I've graduated from college and I, I have a degree in elementary education, so I'm teaching in a Catholic school, I'm teaching second grade. And I'm also engaged to love my life, my high school sweetheart, and we're going to be married, um, Ollie over there, by the way. <laughs> Can't leave me, I was like, sorry, I know, no, no. <laughs> the love of my life over there um, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna be married in December but this is March and he decided before he became gainfully employed that he was going to hike on the Appalachian Trail for a little bit well that little bit turned out to be three months and um, towards the while he was on that trip God was drawing him to himself and um, at the end of that trip, before he came home, he went to visit his brother, who was actually here in New Hampshire at the time. We lived in Ohio. And uh, he went to visit his brother, and it was during that time that Ali came um, to uh, saving faith in Jesus Christ. So, um, now Ali was not the devout Catholic. He was also grew up Catholic, but he was not the devout Catholic. I was the devout Catholic. So he came home from that trip and um, immediately told me about what had happened to him and that I needed to know Jesus. And I was kind of looking at him like, I need to know Jesus? And so we kind of, you know, that was an interesting time in our life. And even though we were unequally yoked, we did go ahead and we got married um, that December. 
And our marriage was good, but it wasn't what God, what God intended for us. Um, every, uh, it was about 10 years of, you know, going back and forth. Ollie would go to um, different Christian fellowships. He was looking for a church. I would go to the Catholic church and bring the kids with me to the Catholic church. And um, by that time, 10 years down, we had four children, and our oldest was in first grade um, in the Catholic school. So um, as you can tell, we weren't in agreement about our faith. Um, so as Ollie grew in the Lord, the Lord was speaking with him and um, showing him that he really needed to take the spiritual um, leadership in our home. And we would have conversations about this. And I think at this time, God was um, softening my heart to, to be able to hear what Ali had to say. And the, uh, the final conversation, I just remember him, Ali using um, scripture, um, and it really spoke to me, but I still wasn't convinced that um, I needed, you know, we needed to be together as far as church went. So we made an agreement that I would um, not go to the Catholic church and that we would find a church together that we could go to, that we could uh, be united in. But I made one condition, and that was that we did not go to the church that his family was going to, because if I was leaving the church that I and my family went to, then we weren't going to go to the church that, you know, his family went to. I was stubborn, as you can tell, I'm kind of stubborn. So, um, so he said, fine, that, you know, we'll, we'll find a church that, where God wants us. Well, that began a month of visiting probably the most unwelcoming churches I've ever been to. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of a disaster. But also going on at this time, um, we were in the process of moving to uh, a different um, suburb of Cleveland. And um, this was a day that, you know, we were supposed to be moving, of course, with seven brothers. You would think that we would, Ollie would have enough help, but um, they kept, you know, dropping out one by one. And um, the only one that showed up, you know, that morning was a little hungover from the night before. And, and then my brother-in-law and, and Ollie. And, um, but little did we know that, um, the church that Ali's uh, parents and family went to, one of their community groups, we knew, um, Ali knew a couple of the guys there because our kids played soccer on their team. And so they knew that we were moving and their uh, community group was looking for an outreach to, um, you know, just bless someone in the community. So, we didn't know it, but we became their outreach. And so that morning, unbeknownst to us, they had planned this, they showed up at our house. There were 15 guys with several pickup trucks, you know, 
ready to, to help Ollie move. And they looked at me, I didn't know these people. They looked at me and they said, you go to the new house and you, you just be there so when they come, you can tell us where to put things. So I dropped the kids off at my sister's house, go to the new house, and lo and behold, there are all these women at the new house. They had already cleaned out the refrigerator. They put food in there for us for the week, you know, to have as meals. They were washing my windows, uh, cleaning floors, and they were cleaning the bathrooms. And it was like, oh my gosh, which that's my least favorite chore. So I was, I was like, I didn't know these people. And oh, and they had coffee and donuts ready for the guys that were gonna be moving. And they had made like lunch, like big pots of chili and all this food for after the, the moving was done. And so I just kind of stood there and, and they were playing Christian music <laughs> while they were working too. I thought that was, it was just amazing. I, was, I didn't know what was happening. And um, so, you know, we got moved. Uh, we couldn't believe how everything got done so quickly. And then as they were leaving that, um, that afternoon, um, they invited us, they were gonna have a potluck at their community group later that week, and they invited us to come. And of course, I, I guess I could say, I felt a little bit obligated to come. They had just done all this, so. So we went and, you know, I just experienced something I had never experienced before. I, you know, these people really uh, had fun together, but they also, um, you know, had a short Bible study and they prayed for each other like I had never heard people pray for each other before. And um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And then they invited me to church. <laughs> and um, so I ended up going to the church that I said I wouldn't go to. And um, a couple weeks later, um, I answered, God's call on my life at that church. So I like to say that I was loved into the kingdom by these people. And, um, you know, Sam, a couple weeks ago, talked about the body, the body of Christ. And he said that, what is Christ doing through his church? And he said, filling the world with his life and love. And that's what they did for me. Annie, thank you for sharing. Loved into the kingdom. I had like tears in my eyes. That's like such an encouragement to not give up on the work of the Lord. Like we help someone move or we make a meal for somebody and you never know what seeds are being planted because you said there was like a 10 year span of your, of the Lord working on your heart. So that's, that's a really encouraging um, testimony. Thank you. All right, Trevor, we ask you the same thing. Can you please share how Christ opened your eyes? Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so my name is Trevor. Uh, I uh, did not grow up in a Christian, ha Christian house. I grew up in a culturally Christian house. Um, I am the youngest of four, uh, and I grew up in a town called New Canaan, Connecticut. It's the richest town per capita in the United States, or has had that reputation for at, at different times in the past uh, many years. Um, so I grew up very privileged. Um, 
didn't realize I was very privileged, uh, but um, grew up with people who seemed like they had everything they needed, right? Um, and uh, my mom and dad, fantastic people. Uh, my dad uh, was a veterinarian. Uh, my mom stayed at home and then worked in a frame shop for a while, things like that. Um, and uh, my dad had a tremendous temper, not violent or anything like that, um, but just a yeller. Uh, and he would, you know, my, I remember my friends and I kind of hiding behind the garage when he was working in it because we learned all sorts of new words. Um, <laughs> we had quite the vocabulary by the time we were seven or eight. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so there were a series of kind of domino effects that happened in my childhood that led to my coming to Christ. Um, the first was when I was uh, nine, my oldest sibling, my sister, uh, a week after she graduated from high school, committed suicide. Um, and which, of course, uh, was absolutely devastating. I remember the first act of faith I ever um, experienced was the morning after we had found out. Um, my, uh, I, hear, I heard my mom and dad arguing out on the landing um, about going to church because we were going to a PCUSA church at the time, never, not a gospel preaching church, um, but um, and, and anyway, they, they were arguing about whether or not to go. My dad was saying, why would you ever go to church after something like this? And my mom said, I remember very clearly, said, um, this is the only way I'm going to get through this, right? Uh, and so we went on. My brother Todd, who was the middle, the, he was the one uh, next above me. I was five years younger than he was. He, Tracy, and Chris were all two years apart. Um, he went through a rough freshman year and then was drawn uh, to Young Life, um, which was relatively new in our uh, district at the time with a really strong uh, leader. Um, and he became a Christian that year. Um, and things started to change because my mom also was investing more in her faith. And so we moved, I remember in when I was about sixth or seventh grade, we moved from our PCUSA church to uh, an E-Free church um, with a guy named Cliff Connectley, who's a phenomenal apologeticist and, and preacher. And so I was hearing better preaching and experiencing what it was to be a Christian, but didn't really get any of it. Um, but because I idolized Todd, because he was popular, he was captain of the wrestling team, you know, uh, he was the homecoming king and dated the captain of the cheerleaders and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was like, well, clearly his way is the way to go. So I started going to wildlife when I was in seventh or eighth grade and uh, went to uh, Young Life during my freshman year. And I remember uh, when a friend of mine became a Christian early in our freshman year, and he's a pastor down in New York now, but um, he, I remember thinking how weird he was. I was like, why is he always talking about God? Like, come on, dude, give it a rest. Uh, because my freshman year, I was focused on popularity and getting dates, basically. I wanted to date girls and be popular, and that's all I care about. Um, and it was, and I remember very clearly, it's one of those rare moments of real exceptional clarity. I went to Young Life Camp, uh, in, <laughs> for some reason, I was in Connecticut, and we chose to go to Castaway Camp. Castaway is in Minnesota. 
So we drove for two days to get to Castaway, um, which was just an exceptionally stinky bus after two days. Um, and we, uh, anyway, it was beautiful, beautiful property, um, but I remember hearing the way in which they presented the gospel. I feel like that was the first time I really heard it. Um, even though I'd been hearing it from my Young Life leaders uh, at club during that year, that time really hit me. It impacted me. And I just felt an urgency uh, to meet with Christ, and I did. Um, and so um, that was kind of how I came to know Christ. Uh, and then over the course of high school, um, it seemed like uh, it was both a kind of figuring out what it meant to be a Christian kind of time. I was not a kid who was like on fire for Christ. Like that was just not me um, at that time or, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say or ever, but like, no, I mean, I'm sure there'd be more, but I'm not like the kid who was like, all right, we're going to do everything. Anyway, uh, but I was, I was, I loved the fellowship of being a Christian. I loved the, the, the community that I gained. Um, and also it felt like high school, like in big bold letters, was like the quest for sexual purity, like all throughout high school, you know? Um, that was kind of the, the bent of our growth in Christ. Um, and I went to UNH and was involved with Campus Crusade or crew. Um, and I experienced, I experienced both a, um, a dependency on Christ, which I hadn't felt before, because I was the only person from my town who'd come up here uh, to New Hampshire. Um, so I was alone, um, which was difficult. Um, but then I experienced really wonderful fellowship um, with guys like Steve Lopez and Brendan Jorgensen and, oh, have I not been, am I talking too softly? Sorry. Anyway, Eric Sessler, Jamie Hemphill, Sam Huggard, you know, these are all the guys who were there about the same time I was. And it was, so it was really awesome fellowship. Um, you know, there are pit, pitfalls, struggles with legalism, stuff like that that can crop up and uh, that kind of a, a setting. Uh, do you want me to keep going with like this or? I don't know. Okay, I'll keep going. Well, anyway, so, <laughs> I'll stop you. but I would say my college, college years and 20s were really marked by um, kind of whining and pining. That's what it felt like, I, or looking back on it. I was constantly whining for what I didn't have or pining for what I didn't have and whining to God about it and others, whoever would listen. I don't know why no one loves me. You know, that kind of garbage, uh, which I'm sure is very common, right? Um, and so I had this vision in my head. I, you know, I was not, you know, I felt very sanctimonious when I chose to, well, I'm not going to go back to New Canaan and work down there and make gobs of money as a veterinarian. I'm going to be a teacher and be poor, which <laughs> is not true. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I was like, oh, what a noble choice I've made. Um, and in my head, my goals at that point where I was like, I can't wait to have a family, to be a father, to be established in the job, that in the career that I've chosen, to be impacting in those ways, right? Uh, those ways which they almost seem, seemed like the really acceptable things to pursue for success as a Christian, right? Um, don't pursue money, but per pursue family. Pursue the, you know, yeah, I get it. Um, but I was putting a lot of my hope in those things. So I find myself now, I'm almost 45. Um, I'm 21 years into my career. Um, I'm a firmly established teacher. I have three beautiful girls, and I'm married to my wonderful wife. Um, and that's kind of where I'm supposed to stop for now. Yes, got it. Okay, good. <laughs>
Thank you, Trevor. I was coached. <laughs> we did chat a bit beforehand. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for sharing. And you guys are being very vulnerable. And so we really appreciate hearing it. All right, let's move to the next question, Annie. What in particularly, what in particular do you see differently now that you follow Christ? So, first of all, I just want to say that um, I am very grateful for the Catholic faith that I grew up in because I always knew that there was a God and a God who loved me. And because of that, um, uh, you know, I was, I think, more uh, able to understand um, what people were sharing with me about the gospel message. So, um, but one thing that I realized that I never um, understood before was that um, I didn't have to earn Christ's love. Um, the message that when Christ died on the cross, uh, everything he did, he did it completely. I didn't have to add to it to earn his love or my salvation. Christ did it all when he died and rose again. And, um, and that, was, that was hard for me to understand because I came from a church where you, good works, works were very, very important. And um, uh, I just like, I never felt like I was, it, I was good enough or I, I would have to do more. Um, and um, it was just so freeing to um, uh, understand that what Christ did on the cross for me made it complete. Um, as, as we are reading in Ephesians, you know, it's, um, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So. That was just um, so freeing for me to understand that I didn't have to earn Christ's love, that he loved me, um, uh, or, and God loved me because of what Christ did on the cross. I was um, made clean because of his sacrifice. So that was, um, that was just something that, um, yeah, I, I just saw completely different. Um, my faith was just made alive, I guess, because of that understanding. So. Awesome. Thank you, Annie. Trevor, same question to you. What in particular do you see differently now that you follow Christ? Um, so I think intellectually understanding the idea that um, there's nothing I can do to earn or lose Christ's love is really significant, believing it. Um, I'm a comparer. I think I, I grew up with that habit of comparing myself to my oldest brother, or my older brother Todd, you know, comparing myself to other people who I saw as better than I was in various respects. Going to college with Eric Sessler was tricky in that regard, because like, gosh, that guy's awesome. Anyway, um, but <laughs> so, um, and I remember hearing uh, on the radio a guy talking about going to seminary. He was, he was a priest, Catholic priest, talking about going to seminary. And, and, and uh, a little while into it, 
feeling like he had to emulate some of the qualities of his fellow um, initiates and and so and and one of the, the heads of his order or whatever the head of the school basically came to him and talked to him and said what why are you trying to be quiet like Matthew is quiet why are you trying to be he says well I like those things those things look like that's how I should be you know and he said no, no you are supposed to be holy in the way God has made you to be holy like that's that's your you know you are you you've been made uniquely and and that is a good thing so struggling to own that and believe that has been important for me <coughs> but not also um, I think that you know that there's that old antithetical statement of the more you learn the more you realize how little you know I feel like uh, or I think um, that as I've progressed in my faith and understood Christ and what it means to be a Christian, the more I understand how much I need Christ and the more I understand my own wretchedness um, apart from him. Uh, and so that's big. And, and I think something that I, you know, as I said, I'm 45. I've got, you know, 21 years into my career, family. But I'm not the impactful person at my school that I hope to be. In fact, I've had moments of being a little too hot-headed, and so people kind of don't want to work with me that much. Um, my marriage is good, but it's not the like sparkles and rainbows that I thought of when I was in my 20s, thinking of what marriage would be like 20 years in, or 15 years in. My children are wonderful, but they are exceptionally challenging. Um, I have one who is just giving the full stiff arm to Christ at this point, even though we have done what we could to set up a, uh, a home, a spiritual ecology, where we would hope that you would be drawn to Christ, right? Um, and so it's hard not to feel like this is my fault in that moment, right? There are two lines I remember from when we first had kids. One, Mark Overmeyer, who's a wonderful uh, early member of the church who was really instrumental in its founding, um, when I had my daughters, he said to me, he, he was also a father of girls, he said, you are the man um, by whom they will judge all other men in their life. So no pressure. Uh, <laughs> and also, I remember that book, Sticky Faith, the line, when it comes to your children, you get what you are. I'm like, oh, that's not good. I don't know that I, you know. And so there are all these, even though I don't think people mean to do this. There are all these things that make us think, oh, okay, the failings of these humans that we're raising are my fault, right? And so their lack of salvation is on me, and I'm going to be answerable to that. Um, which is, on the one hand, on, selfishly, it's like, man, that, that's, that's a hard thing to hold, hold on to. On the other hand, um, as far as caring for our children's souls, that's... that's that's painful to watch, right? We, we, we want our kids to be safe. We want them to be happy. We want them to know Christ. Um, so those have been hard things to wrestle with as I've been, and, and those have been things that have made me realize more and more that really all of these things that I thought, you know, I, I, I had this high horse mentality of like, well, I'm not going to be pursuing money. I'm not pursuing fame. I'm pursuing family and, and good things, right? And yet even those things are not, ultimately satisfying, right? These things that are culturally acceptable to pursue as a Christian, they're also 
not, as Jamie would say, the, we can't take these good things and make them ultimate things, right? Um, so those have been the things I, th I think I've learned. Just and at the core has been just the, the the deeper understanding of the truth that nothing satisfies but Christ. Thank you, Trevor. I think that probably resonated with everybody in the room that there's something we've had expectations on our life to perform a certain way. But thank you for the reminder that Christ is the hope. Christ is the rock. All right. Uh, our last question for the day. Um, what are some challenges you either still face, even though you see reality through Christ, or maybe a new challenge you face? Yeah, I think for me, the challenge um, that I face now is um, feeling responsible for my family, um, that they would know um, the truth of the gospel and just feeling like I need to preach the word to them so that they, they will also come to know Jesus the way I know Jesus. And it, God has just showed me that um, through scripture and, and through uh, mentoring by other people that you know, God is the one who will draw them. You know, he will give you opportunities to plant seeds or you know, to share your truth with them, but um, it's God is the ultimate one, and uh, if he wants you to um, speak to them, he'll give you the words and the time, and he actually did that. Um, three years ago, uh, one of my younger brothers was diagnosed with ALS, which is uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, a terrible, horrible disease, and um, through this disease, he became, you know, you become totally paralyzed, um, even your breathing and your speaking, and, um, but your mind is completely intact. And he was a doctor and, um, you know, was a really smart guy, and um, he, he just um, lost everything, you know, so he would just lay there. But the one thing he did have was he still had movement in his thumb. So he could text, you know. So he couldn't speak, but he could text. And so, um, of course, my sisters, you know, we would, and he was in Ohio, I'm here in New Hampshire, so we would go as often as we could. And, you know, my sisters were, you know, doing novenas for him, praying for him, and they were reading a book to him um, about St. Joseph, you know, um, patron saying, I think, of healing or something. I can't remember. And they wanted me to read, you know, this book to him. And um, I ended up being alone with him at, at this time. And I just, I knew I couldn't read that to him. But I, I looked at him and I said, Tony, can I just share with you what God has done in my life? And um, um, I was able to share you know, um, my, what God did for me and how, you know, Tony, you don't have to. Um, Christ died on the cross for your sins. He loves you. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But he, you know, if we repent and um, believe that and believe that he rose from the dead, and because of that, we are washed clean, you know, you can be with Jesus. When you die, you don't 
you don't have to go to purgatory and have everybody that's behind here praying for you to get into heaven. You know, you don't have to do any good works. Christ did it all for you. And I was able to share that message with him. And he, he texted, and he texted, I believe. And um, so I believe that Tony's in heaven. And um, uh, so I just need to just trust that God will um, draw my other family members um, to the ultimate truth of um, his saving grace. Thank you, Annie. Uh, same question to you, Trevor. What are some challenges you either still face, even though you see reality through Christ, or maybe a new challenge? Um, I am still a comparer. You know, I still uh, look around and see what I perceive as uh, better holiness than what I have, or better success than what I have, or better kids than what I, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. And it, that's poisonous. Um, and so that's something I'm often talking to God about. Um, and also, I remember Brendan used to talk about the idea of um, kind of telling yourself the gospel every day. And I, I find that I still need to. You know, I still need to because it's hard to believe that there's nothing I can do to earn or lose God's love. Um, because I, I think that my understanding of the, with, apart from Christ, the ultimate wretchedness of myself is becoming clearer and clearer. Um, and so, um, and that's not to say that I'm not growing or things like that, but um, it's hard to reconcile uh, those two things sometimes. Um, but uh, one of the things that uh, I've found to be helpful, this is an older, you know, it's something I discovered um, back in my 20s, and it's, it's kind of taken on different meanings for me as I've moved through. It's a, it's a section from uh, one of Oswald Chambers' uh, devotions in my was for his highest, um, where it talks about... Um, well, he says, we do not need the grace of God to withstand crises. Human nature and pride are sufficient for us to face the stress and strain magnificently, but it does require the supernatural grace of God to live 24 hours of every day as a saint, going through drudgery and living an ordinary, unnoticed, and ignored existence as a disciple of Jesus. It is ingrained in us that we have to do exceptional things for God, but we do not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things of life and holy on the ordinary streets among ordinary people and this is not learned in five minutes. And I feel like that's what I'm still learning to do and still trying to um, rest in, right? How do, I, how do I love others and love God in a normal life? Thank you. Thank you both for sharing. I hope everyone was encouraged and challenged. And if we could just give them a round of applause for their, their time and their boldness.